Hey guys, when you're experiencing growth in your organization, you can't do everything on your own, and you don't have to. With the help of our friends at Belay, you can simplify your life with an assistant and stop doing it all. For our podcast listeners, Belay is offering their free download of 25 things you can delegate to an assistant today. Just text LEAD TO WIN, all one word, to 31996. Again, that's LEAD TO WIN, all one word, to 31996. Thanks. Hi, I'm Megan Hyatt Miller, and this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. In this episode, we're talking about how to keep your team members motivated and engaged without micromanaging. This is the third in a mini series that I have been doing on topics that I'm particularly passionate about with some really special guests. And to that end today, I'm joined by Susie Barber, who's our Senior Director of Operations. And she has a lot of experience leading teams, including our operational team here at Michael Hyden Company. So hey, Susie, thanks for joining us. Hey, Megan. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you here because this is a hard topic, especially when we start thinking about um, leading direct reports. And so many leaders fall into this trap of micromanaging. Have you seen that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think this is something, again, that isn't always taught in college, right? Or you're an entrepreneur, you start a business, all of a sudden you jump in and you have a team to lead. And did you ever take a class on like what meeting rhythm is appropriate and most productive to run your direct reports so that they feel led well and connected and you're achieving your goals? No. Probably not. <laughs> and so it's really easy for leaders to jump right into micromanaging or a couple of other things. We all kind of have tendencies, but micromanaging can be really hard and it's a way to kind of take control, I think, in the beginning when you feel out of control because all of a sudden you have this team that you're trying to direct and lead and don't have a good rhythm to address that. So what other trap have you seen leaders fall into if, you know, besides micromanaging? Yeah. So I see leaders who will get really hands-on and do micromanaging and they're kind of, it's almost like controlling and they have to be involved in every decision and they're wanting to talk multiple times a day, all day, nobody can be productive. And then I see the other side of the pendulum with that, where you have leaders who almost abdicate, where they just basically feel like they don't have time for meetings and they like to work alone. And that's not the best use of their time is to lead the team or be in meetings. And so all of a sudden then you've got a team that's not productive because they don't have direction or guidance from their leader or a place to touch base. And so I see both micromanaging and abdicating from leaders. And sometimes in the same leader. Yes, sometimes. Sometimes you can go back and forth. (laughs) Yeah. Or you'll say, I've seen this happen so many times where leaders will say, okay, we're going to try this new meeting rhythm and it's like too much way over the top. And then instead of just trying to fix that, we'll be like, never mind, we're not meeting. (laughs) And we just kind of go to the other extreme, which is not productive either. So So with either of those situations, what's the consequence? Well, the consequence is that it results in constant brush fires, constant emergencies. You start to feel like a firefighter who's always putting something out and responding instead of architecting your business and building it. And so you want to be an architect, not a firefighter. And there's a way to do that kind of with your team um, in business. And so it just results in kind of a lot of emergencies because proper communication channels are not being followed. People don't have a place to bring their questions or solve problems. And then you also get low morale. You, You find kind of in your culture all of a sudden that you have people who feel like they're not cared for by their leaders if they're not checked in enough or if they're micromanaged and they feel kind of defeated, like they're not trusted and empowered. So it's kind of a fine balance. Um, And people are always asking in that situation, what do I do now? What do I do next? What's my next step if they don't have kind of a great place to get that information from their leader and know what their goals are? 
I think you're really right, which is why today we have developed this communication rhythm that we're going to talk to you about that guarantees that your team members are motivated, well-resourced, and highly productive. Um, When you use this structure for your personal contact with your direct reports, you'll move from responding or reacting to problems to resourcing your team for success, which is a huge shift. And you, your own bandwidth is going to increase as you become freed up um, from the micromanaging and all the problems that come from not doing this well. And your team will be more engaged and independent than ever before. So to help facilitate that conversation, um, Larry is here, our senior content creator. Hey, Larry. Hey, how are you? Doing great. Glad you're with us. Yeah, and Susie, good to see you in that chair again. Oh, I love being here. It's always so fun. Literally, this is so fun. Susie's like our unofficial third co-host. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Can someone get me a mug or something? A right. that says that. Totally. <laughs> hey, do you, are you guys fans of the show The Office? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. You're, do, you, do you remember the episode called Survivor Man? Uh-huh. This is the one where Michael kind of decides he's going to go off in the wilderness by himself, and Jim is kind of left in charge. And it turns into kind of this big mess up of Jim trying to plan birthday parties and everybody winds up being mad at Jim. The funny thing is that Jim was making all the same bad boss mistakes that he had made fun of Michael for making for so many years. How does it seem like we always wind up becoming the boss we didn't want to be? Like the (laughs) micromanaging, the abdicating... We see it in other people, but then we kind of default into that. Why Why does that happen? Well, it's not unlike being a parent, right? You know, right. You, you think you're going to be great at it till you go to do it, and you realize it's harder than it looks. Yeah, um, my kids are never going to behave like that. Oh, I'm never, never. going to ha- have those challenges yet. No just, child of mine will melt down at Chick-fil-A. Right. Just you wait. <laughs> That's right. Well, I think this is because managing people is really hard. Anytime people are involved, it's challenging, and nobody teaches you how to be a boss. I mean, mm-hmm. even if you have an MBA, the interpersonal part of being a boss, plus all the productivity strategies, I mean, those are really elusive, I think. And we kind of figure it out as we go and learn from the bosses that we've had before us. And some of those, like Michael Scott, are not great bosses. You know, we've been in organizations that had either toxic culture or just really ineffective leadership. And we're just sort of left to our own devices to to figure this out. And so we, we just default to, you know, one of those two extremes of abdicating or, or micromanaging. I think that's why you really need an intentional rhythm here for this one-to-one contact with your direct report. Because your team doesn't need more accountability measures, probably. What they really need is more of your focused attention. Also, not unlike parenting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? I mean, right. we, you know, our, our people need our focused attention. And when we're distracted, they're not getting what they need. And you need to move from responding or reacting to problems to resourcing your team for success using an intentional rhythm. Yeah, so what we talked about with that firefighter versus architect, right? You really, really want to stop being in a responsive state with your team and really start creating with them and just being a resource for them from the beginning. Well, today we're going to show you how to do that, keeping your team engaged and motivated by conducting one-on-one contacts at two specific intervals. So let's start with the first interval, which is the weekly check-in. So this sounds obvious, right? Of course, you need to meet with your direct reports on a weekly basis, but Mm -hmm. it's not. Um, There are so many wrong ways to do this. And Susie, I'd like you to just talk about a few of those. 
Okay, so um, I think sometimes company-wide weekly check-ins and thinking that that's enough if you get everybody in a room one time a week and don't have individual weekly check-ins, I think people think that that sometimes solves all the problems and it doesn't. People need an individual place to connect with their direct supervisor. And so we do some hybrid models of that where different teams have sprint plannings and then they do these, but um, you really need individual time with your direct reports. And so um, we've tried that before where we had virtual weekly huddles with our whole company before we had our office space. And while there's a fun and camaraderie for that, we found that that rhythm on a weekly basis is really overkill for people. I also think people do really, really long weekly one-on-ones mm. with their team members sometimes, which is a huge mistake. So I once knew an executive who met with his executive assistant almost for like a full day once a week. Oh my gosh. And it was just like killer. Like, and you're just talking about too much, you're going on, you're rambling too much, you're processing. And it's like, really, you probably need three or four other staff members and you're requiring that one person to handle too much if that's how much you have to meet with them to get things done. I think also people go into these meetings and it's just kind of this check-in about like, hey, what's up, you know, and what's going on? And there's no accountability. There's no solution. There's no real agenda. It's just kind of like a block on your calendar and you both get there, like not really knowing what the point is and what the, what a win looks like for the meeting. And that's a problem too. People also do this when we can check-in, right? It's not a scheduled time. You never know when the next one is going to come. It's just kind of like, hey, I hope we can, I can talk to you for 10 minutes after lunch at this time or something like that. And that's... That's just, there's no way to be intentional about your time if you're just hoping it will happen. Also, this is one of the ones I hate the most, the multitask check-in where you're meeting with your direct reports and while you're meeting with your direct reports, you're checking your email, you're mm. t- you're answering text messages, yeah. you're not present, you're not even mm-hmm. really there. You know, you're half listening, trying to do four things at once and you might as well have not done it. No, yeah, absolutely. You're not getting, no one's getting any value out of that kind of a, a meeting. Also, there's a one-sided check-in, which is really interesting. Um, that's one where the accountability is from just your team member and not you as a leader. So you're basically saying, hey, give me a detailed report of your status and then go away. <laughs> or or maybe you don't even, it's like flipped and maybe you don't allow your team member to talk. That's a mistake too, is where right. you're basically calling in so that you can report and give them all this information and they don't have a place to share or ask questions. So really all of these are problematic because the purpose of a weekly check-in is to empower progress on goals and projects with your direct report. So we can see in all those examples how that fails to happen. Um, But at Michael Hyde and Company, here's kind of what our weekly check-in meetings look like. First of all, we allow about 45 minutes to an hour, depending on the nature of the role for this. Um, And we structure these check-ins around questions. So the first one is what updates do you have for me? So the, the point of this is as your leader, I need to make sure I am staying with my ear close to the ground. I know what's going on in my business. I know what's going on with my team and the people that are on the front lines, my direct reports are are my access point to that. So I want to make sure I get those updates. Number two, what decisions do you need for me to make? So this is key because very often you are the person holding your direct reports up. Their progress on goals and projects is being impeded by your slowness to make a decision. You're you're not making a decision. You don't know that you need to make a decision and therefore they can't move forward. So if there's a time and a place each week where they can get uh, you to make key decisions that allow them to move forward, that's really, really helpful here. Um, so number one is what updates do you have for me? Number two is what decisions do you need me to make? Number three is what progress have you made on your quarterly monitoring? 
milestones. So if you have annual goals, then you also have quarterly milestones that you're working towards. And as a leader, you want to create accountability. You know, you want to know before somebody misses a goal that they're they're behind or they're struggling. And so if you can stay connected to the progress they're making on those quarterly milestones on a regular basis, it's really, really helpful. And then finally, what problems are blocking your progress? This is a really important question because uh, your people have problems. <laughs> the problems that your people have may even be you um, or a decision that you haven't made, but if but you are very likely the best person to help remove those obstacles. Absolutely. And the thing that I love so much about the blocking your progress question and that I use with my direct reports, and I know you do too, is if they don't do this on their own, oftentimes they will, I'll ask about capacity and margin in those um, in that question. Because a lot of times people, when I've noticed that if you don't check in on margin with your direct reports regularly, what will happen is by the time they say, I'm underwater, I don't now have enough staffing, I'm under-resourced, I need help, you don't have any options at that point other than to make a higher mid-year, which cannot always be financially you know, doable as a leader. But if you're checking on that on a regular basis, you can say, oh, you know what? I think so-and-so from this department could actually help you out. Or let's um, let's see if we can find a creative solution to that problem. Maybe we push that deadline back to next quarter. And so I think in the problems question, it gives them a chance to tell you kind of where they're at, not only just with practical problems in the business, but also if it's just capacity, you can solve that before it's out of control in that area too, which is huge. That is such a good word. So just to review these questions, number one is what updates do you have for me? Number two is what decisions do you need me to make? Number three is what progress have you made on your quarterly milestones? And question number four is what problems are blocking your progress? So Susie, what uh, pitfalls do leaders need to be mindful of avoiding with these check-ins? They need to be really careful about canceling without rescheduling, right? Consistency is key here because you want to respect this time or the team member will feel undervalued. Um, consistent meetings avoid a buildup of problems and frustration here. So basically, you know you're going to have a place to connect with your leader on a regular basis to get the solutions that you need. And so if that meeting gets canceled all the time, and especially if it doesn't get rescheduled, there's just not the consistency there. Uh, Susie, can I tell a story of myself? Yes, please. Okay. I love when you tell stories. Uh, this is, this is uh, kind of out of myself here. So uh, I went through a period a couple of years ago. I don't remember exactly what was going on, but I was a little bit overwhelmed. I had a lot of direct reports and I was struggling to fit in my other commitments. And so mm -hmm. my solution was because I sort of generally regard my calendar as like a palette, you know, that I am painting with and I can um, pick and choose what I want from it, which it's not quite that dramatic, but, but to some degree that's true is I just started like from time to time canceling meetings, mm. you know, or, or moving meetings. And finally we were in an executive team meeting and one of my direct reports said uh, when I was kind of creating some space for candor, he said, I just have to tell you that when you reschedule our meetings, it is a domino effect on my whole calendar for the week and it messes everything up. If you could just not do that, it would be so helpful. And I was like, face palm. Yeah. I can't believe I missed that. I was unintentionally disrespecting my direct reports. Not only was I not meeting their needs because they weren't having the opportunity to get their needs met, but I was also um, just not realizing the ripple effect that I was creating on a scheduling front. Totally. And what we're talking about here is that is not that there's no flexibility, right? right. Of course, your kids are going to get sick. You're, you're going to have a project that comes up that you just need extra space to finish once in a while. What we don't want you to be is a repeat offender in this area. <laughs> I was a repeat offender. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it happens. It happens to all of us. It's a, honestly, when you're overwhelmed, it's 
it's a way to kind of avoid sometimes um, or uh, just to kind of adjust uh, with the overwhelm that you're feeling. So yeah, definitely consistency is key. Also, one of the things that leaders should be careful not to do in these meetings is to be the answer person all the time. So what we mean by that when we say that is that you want to help your team to solve their own problems. So one of the questions that you're always asking is, tell me more about that. And I love when you say that because it really helps us to dive deep on the thoughts that we're sharing with you. But then you'll often follow up with, what do you think that you could do to solve that? What do you think that you need to solve that? And what you're doing is you're allowing us and prompting us to do creative thinking. You're not providing the answers. And that's how we grow. So sometimes we need you to provide answers and insight, but your team also needs to hear um, that you trust them to create those answers and that you're interested in their feedback. And sometimes they just need a little bit of a challenge. And so not being the answer person who solves all the problems is really important. Well, it also comes from the place that I really believe that my direct reports have most of the answers they need within themselves. Certainly, I want to be a resource and a coach wherever I can. Um, but you guys are the experts on your area of responsibility. You know, you know much more about it than I do. That's why I've hired you. You're smarter than I am in those areas. And what I can best do to serve you is to create space for you to think creatively about solutions and then, you know, confirm those things as they come up. So, it, it takes some practice to not jump in kind of with a savior complex, but what you'll find is you have a pretty brilliant team when you step back. That is so empowering too. That's such an empowering position for a leader to take with their team, which I love um, being one of your direct reports. It's great. So um, I think going off the agenda is another pitfall that we should talk about because I feel like these questions that you've shared, one of the things that makes our meeting so successful is that we ask our team to prepare their answers to those questions ahead of time. And if you if they've prepared things and they need a bunch of stuff from you and then you constantly take over the agenda and talk about something different, then you're creating a same kind of problem where they're not getting the answer that they need from you. So sticking to an agenda, even if you create your own that's different from the one we use at Michael Hyatt and Company, is really important just, again, for consistency and rhythm. So that's the first interval of one-on-one meetings that make for successful communication. It is the weekly check-in. And the key here is to schedule it and do it. It's just a vital communication link. Hey, everybody. Mike Boyer here. Do you know someone who could benefit from this episode? Why not help them out with a link? Text this episode to a leader who could use help in structuring one-on-ones. Or better yet, drop it in your favorite social channel with the hashtag lead to win We count on you to spread the word about the podcast. So thank you for helping us get the podcast in front of other leaders. And if you're not already following Michael and Megan on Instagram, do that today. They love reading your comments and often respond. You can find them on Instagram at Michael Hyatt and at Megan Hyatt Miller. Or you can find those links in the show notes at lead2.win. Thanks. So let's talk about the second interval for one-on-one communication, the quarterly one-on-one. I love this quarterly one-on-one because I think this is kind of the cherry on top when you think about how to add some wow to your direct report experience. You know, we think about the weekly meeting, we think about an annual review, but we don't necessarily think about a quarterly one-on-one. And the purpose of this meeting is to provide an opportunity to connect at a deeper level with your direct report beyond just what's urgent and important. Hopefully the things that are both urgent and important you're talking about on a weekly basis, but this is really your opportunity to talk about what 
what is important. You know, those things that um, you don't need to get to today or tomorrow, but are are significant. And you want to really hear the deeper thoughts and the heart of your direct report and make sure you're not missing anything. Make sure you're really staying connected to how they're doing and what they need so that you can support and coach them best. So Susie, why don't you talk us through um, these five questions that we've created to structure these meetings? Okay, yes. But before I do that, I have a personal story to share. Okay, on great. This. Okay, so these questions are literally game changers, Megan. Um, so I was in a season, and I'll just be transparent and candid, um, with work this year where my role, we're a rapidly scaling company, and my role has changed significantly. So I lead under operations, facilities, events, HR, customer experience, um, communication rhythms, our EA team, all those things. Um, and I was feeling overwhelmed, right? And that's a common thing that leaders feel. And I just realized um, that I was having a hard time coming up with solutions. And so before we even had this meeting, I used your questions as like a journaling exercise and I literally had a breakthrough. It was like better than any therapy I've ever paid for. Wow. Um, yeah, these questions are amazing. Like I just think that they um, really connect with like the heart of the issue and they're very solutions oriented. So excited to share those. Yeah, I think that that's a, a great point to make that when you ask your direct reports to schedule this meeting, you need to share these questions in advance and ask them to think through them in advance. Not that they necessarily have to write them out, although I think that's a great solution. But you want them to spend some time in reflection. And you'll see what I mean when we get here. But you also need to prepare yourself um, to hear feedback on your own leadership and what your direct report needs that may feel a little uncomfortable to you. So you you really need to go into this with a spirit of humility, um, of supportiveness, and also courage as the leader um, to create space for the answers Mm -hmm. to these questions. So why don't you tell us about question number one? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I just want to point out to you when I in all the departments that I lead, the one on one was helping us to be immensely productive. Mm -hmm. But sometimes there can be kind of deeper issues that don't get resolved. So I'm bringing and I'm getting so much done. And we're achieving so much in that one on one, but we're not getting kind of to the heart of things, which is what these cover. So question one, what are your top three goals for the quarter? And how are you progressing? And this is a similar question that we ask on the one on one agenda, because goals are important. And to achieve them, you have to keep a pulse on them. And so this question is for their growth, not just your information. The focus is what's working, what's not working, and why. They should be leaving feeling hopeful about the their prospects of success. That's great. In other words, this is not um, where they're sort of on trial mm-hmm. and you are their adversary. Question number two. What's the biggest challenge you're facing as a leader now? And if you're not leading other leaders, you could say, what's the biggest challenge you're facing in your role right now? Mm-hmm. Um, this is about internal roadblocks, not external problems or resources. This is an opportunity for self-assessment. You are the coach in this setting, and you they should leave, your team should leave feeling enlightened about their work and their leadership. Well, one of the things that happens for leaders, um, particularly if you are leading leaders, and this this is probably true in some other contexts too, you may be the only person that your direct report can talk to about these struggles because of the way that the chain of command works in your organization. And there's a real sense of loneliness and isolation that can come um, in a role like that where they really don't have anybody that they can say, oh man, this, this situation is really difficult or mm. I'm really 
experiencing this kind of self-doubt or, you know, I'm, I'm worried about failing in this area because they're always talking to people who report to them. Um, and certainly, again, this is not going to be everybody's situation, but um, I guarantee you that no matter what level your direct reports sit at, they have challenges in their role, internal challenges with their own mindset, their own beliefs about themselves, their abilities, um, that if you can tap into, you can lead and coach them so much better. Absolutely. And I think it's important that you do this on a regular basis. Maybe the first couple of times you, you run this meeting and you use these questions, you don't get that deep of answers from right. people because this is new. But once you create a repetitive, safe space for this and your team, you're going to be really surprised and wowed by what your team brings to the table and how you can coach and help here. Also, you may get answers that are, especially at first, more about situational things. You know, this person's blocking my progress, or I don't feel like I have the budget mm -hmm. for this, or I'm really stuck on this project. That's good for you to know, too. I mean, whether you get a, a super deep kind of therapy answer, sure. or you get just um, insight into something they're struggling with, I can't tell you how many times I've been in a conversation where I've asked this question or something similar, and the problem somebody was struggling with, from my perspective, was totally simple. And I don't mean that um, pejoratively. I just mean that like there was a, an answer that they just weren't aware of either because yeah. they haven't thought of it or maybe it was something that I could do to help, but we were able to solve it right then and right there. Yeah. And that loneliness thing is so key in leadership. Yeah. I think once you get in a room and you talk about these things, whether the problem is big and is deep and is harder or whether it's a smaller kind of easier problem to fix, problems are solvable. And it doesn't always feel that way if you don't create a space to talk about them and tackle them. So question number three. What do you think you need to do to overcome that? So we're referring back to question two here, and you're doing that thing where you're not being the answer man, right? Where you're empowering your team member to make suggestions on what they need to fix this problem. So you're avoiding being prescriptive and you're helping them figure out next steps. It's far more empowering to put the onus on them, offer ideas and explore solutions and become really the sage and the coach in this moment. And I think you'll be continually impressed by the resourcefulness of your team members. For so many people, they just haven't had time to think about it. You know, it's it's a nagging problem or a frustration, and they're just in the day-to-day -day busyness of their work, and they haven't had a chance to think through it, and you're creating space for that to happen. Can I tell you a secret? Yes. Sometimes when I prepare for these meetings and I do these questions, I solve most of my problems. Right. <laughs> because I'm like, oh, I actually don't need to ask her about that now because I answered yeah. this question. Because you and made I time to think solution, about it. And I made time to yeah. think about it. It carves out space for that. Um, and then what I'm bringing is most high leverage once I've landed there, which is great. Question number four, what do you need from me to succeed in this quarter? I love that question. I love this question too, because I want to know specifically how I can serve you. I mean, when I think about what is leadership really? You know, if, mm. if you are leading people, you are a servant first and foremost. And if you're going to get the best out of your team, the best performance, their access to their greatest talent, you are going to have to serve the people you're leading. And if they can tell you what they need, uh, it would be great. For example, I had one of my direct reports um, tell me recently that they needed approval on a relatively small budget item, which was like um, a linchpin with a project, you know, and they just needed some uh, some approval there to go over budget. I'm like, uh, done, just go do it, you know, and should we probably get two people for that? Because it seems like one might not be enough. And that person left feeling like, they were ready to go. And that, that had probably caused a ton of stress up to that point of, well, can I do this or can I not do that? And once um, they told me what they needed, I was like, okay, go do it. 
Yeah. I think it's important to point out here that this is not a reverse delegation session. You're not going to do the work for them necessarily because of this question. Um, So you should be clear about what you will provide and what you can't. So sometimes if your staff member says, my solution or what I need from you is for you to approve a few full-time hires for me. I need to grow my team like right now. You can't always do that mid-year. We all know that as leaders. Um, But you might be able to provide other solutions. And so for them to have a space to just ask you what support they need from you um, is a great thing. They may tell you things like they need um, a certain kind of change in your leadership style. Now, this is a high trust answer. So you're probably Mm -hmm. not going to get this level of candor. We're going to get into this a little bit with the next uh, question. But they may say that they need more encouragement from you. I've had people say, um, I need you to contextualize failure me when it happens, because that's really difficult for me. And I was like, oh, easy, done. Because very often what I see as a a quote unquote failure is not what they see because they're way harder on themselves. I've certainly done that myself. You know, I can be really hard on myself. Um, Or they may tell you, you know what, if I could just not come to that regular meeting for the next six weeks, that would give me the time I need to make progress on this goal. Do you think that would be possible? And, you know, that's usually an easy yes, too, or you can figure out a solution. So having relief from certain responsibilities might be part of what they need to succeed in the next quarter. Yeah, that is awesome. Okay, question number five. What can I avoid doing that would undermine or frustrate your success? So I know I said I love all the questions, but I think this is so important. This is so important. We need to be asking this as leaders like on a regular basis, but certainly quarterly. It's so important. Well, this is a hard one because it's easy to give feedback or easier to give feedback to your team about how you would like to see them improve. But very often as leaders, we are insulated from the feedback of our team. And so we don't grow as much as we need to. And we're likely frustrating them. You know, there's something that you keep doing, like in my example of um, continue to change this meeting, you know, without really thinking about the ripple effect, I am creating frustration or an obstacle where I don't need to, that is really getting in the way of the progress I'm asking this person to make. So you have to go into this with a level of courage and definitely uh, humility. You, if I could say one thing, when you ask this question, ask it and shut up. Yes. Listen intently. Right. Just be quiet. Do not be defensive. Don't explain why you did it. Just, just listen and then trust that what they're asking you to not do is really key. I had somebody say to me in answer to this question, I need you not to pull me into meetings that are not mission critical to this goal that you've asked me to accomplish. And I need you to instead rely on this other person who's totally capable. And I would have defaulted to that. That would have been, honestly, that that could have been a, a real problem. And having that answer helped me say, Okay, I, I need to make a mental note of that. And every time I want to pull this person into a meeting, I'm not going to do it unless it's really, really vital. And as a team member who has answered these questions, not only do I use these with my team, but I answer them when I meet with you, Megan. One of the things that I said recently, because I think examples here are just so helpful to you, was I said we had realized in my role that we were going to have to do some restructuring and that there had been some overwhelm and just capacity issues. We were working on that. But I said to you, I need you to actually, um, to not get in my way or frustrate my success, I want you to not stop delegating to me. Because I knew, if you knew that I was overwhelmed and over capacity, uh, one of my jobs is to take high level projects off your plate. And I knew if you stopped delegating to me kind of to protect or help that that would cause bigger problems company wide. Right. Right. And so I just think sometimes, um, as leaders, we're so afraid of this feedback, but when you open the door, what your team members ask for sometimes is like a no brainer. Like, yeah, absolutely. Almost always actually. I can absolutely make sure that you don't get called into unnecessary meetings. I can absolutely continue to delegate or continue to empower. And so I think we're so afraid of feedback sometimes that we don't create space for 
this, but oftentimes it's easier than we think. I think so too. If you happen to have somebody who says, oh, nothing, you're, you know, you're just a great leader. Like they're conflict avoidant. I mean, they're, first of all, they're thinking something. They're just not saying it right. because they're, they're not sure they can trust you to handle it well or what will it mean for them. I would just encourage you, as I said earlier, stay quiet. Mm -hmm. Well, if you did have something that you could think of that I um, could avoid doing, what would it be? You know, or at the very minimum, I'd like you to think on that and get back to me tomorrow with an answer. Really push them here because what you want to do is create a culture of candor. You want to create a culture of two-way feedback and not one-way feedback where the only feedback is top-down. Um, otherwise, like I said before, you're insulated and you're blinded by your lack of uh, coaching from your own team. That's great. I think there's a few things that you can do too once the feedback has been shared to help this be really successful. So the first thing is, I love what you said about listening intently, but after you've done that, you should affirm their feelings or the impression that you have, even if you disagree with the facts that they've shared. So you can just say, I understand how you're feeling that way, or I can, I have compassion for how you got there. Um, so just affirming their feelings and making sure they know that their feelings are valid and then clarifying your understanding of what they said too. Cause oh, that's good. how many times have we walked out of meetings and you know, all of us have done this throughout our whole lives or even in conversations with your spouse where you think someone said this right. and they actually think they said this. And so sometimes just that step of clarity and Gaining clarity, restating what you've heard eliminates a lot of confusion. Right. This is just reflective listening. You know, what I heard you say was the thing I could do to the thing I could avoid doing that would undermine or frustrate your leadership is fill in the blank. You know, is that true? And then let them correct you if you're if you're not quite accurate. Um, because what's going to happen is they're going to leave feeling so valued. They're going to feel heard. They're yes. going to feel connected to you. It's going to build trust and rapport. Um, and I guarantee you're going to see the performance go up on the other side of this. Absolutely. And if there's any way before you leave the meeting to provide a solution, like a commitment, yes. um, please do that in real time yes. and when you're answering this question. However, if you do need more time, you could say, okay, I need some time to think about that solution. I need to do some research, but I will come up with a solution and I'll get back to you by the end of the week mm -hmm. or something like that. And follow through on your commitments. Yes. The, the worst thing you can do in this situation is someone is vulnerable enough to give you an honest answer. And then you make a commitment. No, I'm not going to call you into that meeting. And then you do it because that will undermine trust. And the next time, the next quarter, when you have this meeting set up and you ask that question, they're going to be cynical. And cynicism is very difficult to undo. Today, we have learned that you can build strong, independent team members who function well on their own by giving them consistent, focused interactions at two intervals. Now, the first of those is the weekly check-in, which depends on these four questions. What updates do you have for me? What decisions do you need me to make? What progress have you made on quarterly milestones? And what problems are blocking your progress? The second interval is the quarterly one-on-one, -on -one, which hinges on five questions. What are your top three goals for the quarter, and how are you progressing? What's the biggest challenge you face as a leader? What do you think you need to do to overcome that? What do you need from me in order to succeed this quarter? And what can I avoid doing that would undermine or frustrate your success? Now, if you have trouble remembering those, no worries. We have a complete transcript of today's show in the show notes for this episode at lead2.win. You can download that for free and use that as a resource. So, Susie and Megan, any final thoughts for our listeners today? 
I would say just don't abdicate and don't micromanage. We talked about that in the beginning of the episode. You don't want to create so many problems in your organization by simply not meeting with your team or by meeting with them too much and micromanaging. So instead, find a rhythm that works for your team and your direct reports, even if it's not exactly what we're suggesting here and you need different questions in your culture or you find that you need to do your one-on-one bi-weekly or something like that. You can totally make it your own, but the, the bottom line is that you've got to have a consistent rhythm and consistent agendas to create safe space for your team to grow and be their most productive. That's really good, Susie. Um, You know, these two meetings that we're talking about today are all about setting your team up for success. The first one, the weekly check-in, is all about empowerment. You know, how can I empower my team to get what they need to succeed? And the second one is about connection. How can I stay connected enough to their needs that I can really serve them um, and answer their questions and address problems at a deeper level that come up? And I think if you do these two things, you'll go from transactional meetings and kind of a transactional relationship to one that is truly productive where you get the best possible performance out of your direct reports and create a lot of job satisfaction. Thank you both for this very practical information. I feel like we have prevented a lot of Michael Scott moments today. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. Thanks, Larry. And thanks, Susie, for being here. And thank you all for joining us today. We'll see you right here again next week. Until then, lead to win. On Lead to Win, we talk a lot about productivity and making sure as leaders, we're focused on what really matters. But you can't do that if you're trying to do everything yourself, everything needed to run a business on your own. Well, our friends at Belay have been helping leaders like you and me for 10 years. Belay can simplify your life with an assistant. They match busy leaders like you with exceptional assistants and bookkeepers. They do that by having a team searching the U.S. for extraordinary people who have the experience you need. For our podcast listeners, Belay is offering their free download of 25 things you can delegate to an assistant today. Just text "Lead to Win" all one word, to 31996. Again, text "Lead to Win" all one word, to 31996.